Lord, it's always a privilege to come together, to be together with one another. It's certainly a privilege that you are with us and that you've given us your word. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to understand the implications, the instructions, uh, your will through this passage and help us to align our lives with your will and your purposes. We pray for Leona, we pray for Hertford Street, we pray for ourselves, Lord, that you will be directing us in your ways. And we commit Lloyd to you too, um, with whatever, wherever he is this night, we commit him into your safekeeping and your care, thanking you for him. So Lord, speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Corinthian church, way back in chapter 5, so just a quick summary of this morning, I guess. Um, and this will be now two weeks ago, we looked at 1 Corinthians 5, and it's talking about a man is actually having sexual relations with his father's wife. So that's his stepmom, I assume. And the Corinthian church had been pretty slack and indifferent to that, and they were very tolerant, and they were becoming quite arrogant about how kind and accepting and loving they were, and they didn't realise that that particular moral stance that they were encouraging was in fact even repulsive to the community in which they were living. If you have a look at chapter 5, verse 1. And Paul says, this is what you should do. There are certain standards. When somebody is sinning, then you have a conversation with them and uh, if they don't repent and so on, there's a process, which I'll go through again in a second. Um, and at the end of the day, if he doesn't change, if he doesn't want to change, then he should be removed. Um, and so they were a bit indifferent when it came to disciplining one another, holding each other accountable. And then in chapter 6 and verses 1 to 11, they were also off course with... They were entering into a thing which was very entertaining for them and quite enjoyable of taking one another to court over very trivial matters, it says in verse 2. Um, and as I said this morning, it's... We have TV to entertain us in our world, but back then they didn't, obviously. And what they would do, particularly in all through the nation of Greece, and particularly in Athens, and Corinth is not far from Athens, and so they would do it as well, is that if you got into a fight, a conflict, or a dispute with somebody, instead of sorting it out, um, you would sue them. You would take them to court. And as I said this morning, there were various levels of a court. There was first the arbitration bit. You would get somebody to help you. They would get somebody... Then there would be a third independent person. And you would all meet together. And if that didn't resolve it, you went to the next stage, which was, I think, the court of 40. There were 40 people on the jury. And if that didn't resolve it, then depending on the amount of value of what the dispute was about, then if it was a value, a minor value of less than $50, then you went before a jury that had 201 citizens sitting on the jury. But if it was over $50, then it was 401 citizens sitting on the jury. It was entertainment. It was fun and games for them. And the first qualification in to be the arbiter and to be in the court of 40, you had to be 60 or over. So most of you guys are free. Not all of you, but most of you are off. But to be on the court of the 200 or the 400 or, the, or higher, then you had to be over the age of 30. Now, well, still most of you were free, I guess. Um, and so you could imagine a colosseum filled with people while these two people are presenting their particular case and the ones who were eloquent and clever with words and presenting their story, they were the ones who often won and it was just entertaining for them. The closest parallel for us is we actually like watching court cases on TV, whether they are live or Judge Judy in the afternoon, you ever watch her? 
Is she still on? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Uh, I read somewhere or heard somewhere the other day, she gets over a million dollars an episode. Whatever it is, it's huge. There was a TV show a thousand years ago called Perry Mason. None of you would be aware of that, probably. Somebody's nodding. Um, and as I recommended this morning, in fact, somebody said this to me. I know Tom has seen this one. On Netflix, there's one called Making a Murderer. Who's seen Making a Murderer? Yeah, only about half a dozen of us. If you've got 10 hours you want to waste, <laughs> you watch the first hour, and it's might begin a bit slow, but it ends up being mesmerising. You can't not watch it. You've got to find what happens, what happens. And it's, it's an outrageous miscarriage of justice. And so Netflix, Making a Murderer, commend it to you, and it's still ongoing right now. Um, the guy's in jail um, for the second time. Sorry? Oh, no, that's not spoiling it at all. Tom, I'll tell you about it. The, uh, and then there were also movies about it. Well, the Corinthians had the same sort of interest and intrigue about it, and they would love to take people to court. That was their old ways. Now they're followers of Jesus, and so now they've got a dispute with somebody in the church. And it's a little dispute. It's a trivial uh, dispute. It's not significant, but they would sue one another, just, matter of fact, just for the fun of it. And off they would go. And Paul says... Aren't you considering what the impact of this is going to be upon your witness? You're, you're destroying yourself. You're going before the very people. You're dabbling in your old way of life. That's how you used to behave, and now you're still behaving that way. And so you're communicating to the people that you don't know anything about reconciliation, which is what the gospel is all about. And so you're defeating yourselves. And that's not a bad summary of uh, what we said this morning. Let me also share this, and then we'll jump into tonight's passage. Um, do you think that children should be disciplined? Yes or no? Oh. Do you think naughty uh, children who are um, behaving badly should be corrected? Do you think parents should just ignore their bad behaviour and just trust God to work it out? Congratulations. You are the smartest congregation at Sunnybank District Baptist Church. This morning when I said that, do you think you should ignore it and just trust God to work it out? The 8.30 congregation drew a breath um, because of the trust God bit, I'm sure. 10.30 were not as bad, but they likewise hesitated. You were the guys who were first cab off the rank, but of course you were here this morning, some of you, so you're cheating. Should it be ignored? No, because God has entrusted to parents the responsibilities to discipline and train their kids. Agreed? Good. <clears throat> So too, as God has done that, so God has entrusted governments, courts, police and the military, likewise with authority and responsibility to guide and direct, to correct and sometimes to even to punish those who are misbehaving. That's correct. And so therefore, sometimes there will be a time and a circumstance where it's appropriate to use these God-given authorities, the courts, the police, whatever, um, to establish justice and to settle disputes. Now, we ought not to be doing it over pathetic little issues, that's ridiculous. But then, nonetheless, that doesn't mean that there won't be some occasions where it has to happen. What I'm trying to do is to correct the saying, which I think is not at the end of the day, it's certainly not accurate, and at the end of the day is not helpful, and you may have heard it, and you may have said it, and that is, Christians don't take Christians to court. It's not true. 
Christians who are in fellowship with one another shouldn't need to take one another to court. They should, they'll have disputes, we live in a fallen world, but we should sort it out. There's a biblical process and steps to go through, Matthew chapter 18 and so on. And that sometimes, even though it's a person can be a Christian, uh, they can be put out of the church, like chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, and yet because of whatever their behaviour is that they're not fixing, they could be a menace to society and they could be hurting or harming other people. And therefore we have an obligation, I think, to report them to the secular authorities who will bring something to bear upon them. So when a person will not submit to a Christian authority, to the church's authority, when they refuse to correct their behaviour and they are removed from the church community, so they're a believer, a professing believer, then it may be necessary sometimes to use the secular authorities to protect others in society. Cases like fraud or swindling or, you know, breach of contract or whatever. There's a whole host of things that could go wrong. So just correcting that. Well, the Apostle Paul goes on and he's still in the same mindset that he has heard various things about the church and the, the linking theme is their behaviour is undermining the reality of the gospel, the reality of their transformation into the image of Jesus. And in this particular case, it's their sexual practices. And they had certain beliefs or a certain mindset. Uh, verse 11 says that they've been washed and sanctified and justified. They've been transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That should manifest itself in the change of behaviour. And it's a process, doesn't happen instantly. And so they were still continuing some of their old practices. It was very common in Corinth. Um, uh, you'd go do your hard day's work and then on the way home you'd call in to the local brothel. That was quite acceptable behaviour. Um, and in fact, in Greek society, they had various levels of relationships. Uh, it was permissible, normal. You would have a mistress for your own pleasures, you would have a concubine, you would have a wife who would be there to legitimate, le give you legitimate children and you would have a guardian, someone who would be looking after all your domestic properties. It was just widespread and rampant and highly immoral, but for them it was normal and harmful and damaging, all of those things. And the Apostle Paul is writing to try and correct some of this mindset. Uh, the whole issue of sex and sexuality isn't as casual and as carefree, as certainly as the Corinthians wanted to make it out to be, and as people in our own society want it to be. I'd be surprised if you don't know or have friends who have exactly that attitude. It's just physical. There's nothing else in it. This passage, in fact, says, actually, it's not just physical. There are implications in other areas as well. Bottom line is, the Apostle Paul is saying, everyone who is a follower of Jesus must control their own bodies and be careful and serious about what they do with it our eyes, our hands, our minds and all of the other bits, particularly the sexual bits. Some people would say that sex outside of marriage is quite normal and acceptable. The Bible says the exact opposite, it says it's wrong and to be avoided. The Corinthians had a mindset which said all things are lawful, I am free in Jesus. If I know Jesus, the, I know the truth and the truth will set me free. I am set free from laws and regulations and therefore without inhibitions or anything else, I can do whatever I like. They also had the mindset that separated body and spirit or body and soul 
that it's like an envelope and the contents of the envelope, the spirit, the soul inside of us is what's really important and the outside envelope, the shell, the body is not important. It's going to destroy, it'll die and decay in the grave and so therefore it doesn't matter what I do with it. I can do whatever I like with it. That was their mindset and Paul writes to correct that. So let's have a quick look at this passage. Paul says in verse 11, quoting them, I have the right to do anything, you say. His answer, but not everything is beneficial. You do have freedom in Christ, but there are certain guidelines, and he gives three principles. Um, I have the right to do anything, they said, but I will not be mastered by anything, Paul corrects. And so there are three things. If I have the right to do it, the question is, is it lawful? So before you are involved in anything or any activity, uh, engaging in anything that is questionable, ask these three principles that Paul gives here. Is it lawful? Is it allowed by the law of the land? But is it also allowed by the law of God? Does God's word address this issue in any way? Does it give me any guidelines on it? Is it lawful? If it is lawful, then is it beneficial? So it might be, I might be permitted to do it, but is it helpful for me to do it? And then... Thirdly, it's, well, if I can do, it's lawful, and if it's beneficial, will it lead to me being addicted to it? Will it lead to me being controlled by it, and thereby I'll be losing my freedom? I'll be under its influence. <clears throat> These are the three guiding principles that the Apostle Paul seeks to impart to the Corinthians to guide them through their thinking processes, particularly when it comes to this issue of their sexual practices. Is it lawful? Um, is it beneficial is it enslaving um, verse 13 the apostle paul uh, writes to them you say their thinking is food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food well that's pretty common they're basically saying if it exists it exists to be met there is a a need god gave us hunger so we could have food and enjoy it he made the stomach for the food he's made food for the stomach so too with sex sexuality and our sexual desires if it exists it should be expressed and satisfied that's what they were thinking the apostle paul corrects them by saying um, the body however is not meant for sexual immorality <coughs> excuse me but for the lord and the lord is meant for the body there is a difference between some of our bodily desires and some of our natural bodily desires and in particular our body paul says it's made for the lord our body is made in his image god is the inventor he's the one who made us male and female made us with equality he is the one who gave us the gift of marriage between one man and one wife for life god is the one who created our bodies with all of our appetites and our thirsts and we should always exercise moderation. But God is also the inventor and the giver of our sexual desires. And he made us for, and he gave us sexual desires. Well, for what reason? Well, certainly for the propagation of children. But he gave it to us primarily for pleasure. He gave it to us for the uniting together of a man and a woman that they would become one, not just physically. There is certainly that dimension, but it's beyond that, as we'll come to in a moment. It's also spiritual. There's this uniting together that's becoming one sex is for pleasure for children for oneness for comfort for protection and for knowing one another the body is not for sexual immorality 
as the Corinthians were just, you know, experimenting and experiencing it. So the body is special, made by God, saved by Jesus. And it's not simply something that is for this life only, because it's made for the Lord. Verse 14, by his power, God raised Jesus from the dead, and he's also going to raise us. Our body is not therefore just for this life. This body is going to be going into eternity, which leads to an implication that what I do with my body, therefore, is important. What I put into it, what I eat, what I drink, and what I do with it and to it has consequences. It's not without consequences. Verse 15, conclusion. Well, the point he wants to make now is about prostitutes. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? We're linked. When we receive Jesus, he comes in by his spirit into us, but there is this union that... Now, my hands are his hands, my limbs are his limbs, my body is his body, and in fact, my body is part of his body, the church. So our bodies are important. We need to look after them. And um, some, of you, some of us are much better at doing that than others. Um, and it's uh, something that I'm working on. I'm trying to look after my body. I try to watch my diet uh, I'm trying to increase my exercise. Uh, at the moment, it's, it's simply getting out of bed in the morning is enough exercise for anybody. <clears throat> I give the remote a pretty good workout. That's exercise. Um, but there's a series coming up in a couple of months, I think, and it's called Transformation with the Rick Warren thing. And one of the things he does is about transformation physically. So I've got about two months to make a significant difference so I can teach that particular weekend with some sense of integrity. <clears throat> Otherwise, I'll do it... Ex- I'll get you to do it. (laughs) That'll motivate you as well. Yeah, you're younger than me. It's easier for you. It is. The older you get, the harder it gets. Sorry? It's the science. No, it's the body. Yeah, that's correct. Everything. The metabolism slows down. The motivation dies. It's all sorts of things happen. Anyway, it's a lot harder. David Loder, who was the general superintendent of the Baptist Union, he lost about 10 or 15 Ks. So I said to him, do you feel more energised, more energetic? He said, no, I feel robbed. (laughs) I just don't know why I thought of that. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Now, you're you're linked with and you represent the Lord Jesus. Will I take the members of Jesus and unite them with a prostitute? That means that where I take my body, I take Jesus. Does it mean this? When I'm watching a movie, when I'm watching TV, and I, I love movies, when I'm watching movie, and often in movies these days, that you're not only going to get the violence, but you're often going to get some sexual, sexual images presented, aren't you? It's going to be flashed up very quickly or whatever. Some are much more than just flashing it up. When I indulge in that, if I just simply engage in that and allow it to happen, then I'm making Jesus watch that with my eyes. And I wonder if the Spirit of God and the Lord Jesus himself, if their response to that is automatically to turn away, so to speak. That for them, it's, very, it's beyond what's acceptable, it's not... It's not beneficial, it's not lawful, in fact it's harmful.
and it will lead to being controlled by I wonder if the Lord actually turns away in, in spirit and so if we are continuing to watch we're actually disengaging from the Lord we're grieving him we are quenching him and his influence in us do you understand what I'm saying there is a disconnect between me and him something like that there are some consequences because I am linked with him Apostle Paul goes on to say, verse 16, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it says in Genesis, the two will become one flesh. It's not just physical. When you sleep with somebody, there is certainly a physical connection, but there is some other connection as well, which is what the Genesis reference is referring to, becoming one. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So how can I be one with him, the, the Lord Jesus, and take that and indulge in sinful practices, going to a prostitute <clears throat> in this instance? The Apostle Paul's instructions, as followers of the Lord Jesus, flee sexual immorality. Flee. Make it a habit. Flee. When you're in the movies and you can't get up and walk out, though I guess maybe sometimes that's appropriate, um, I've only done that, I think, once in my life. I try to pick what I watch more carefully. Um, what was I saying? Instead of getting up and leaving, maybe what you can do is just simply close your eyes, that you're responding to it. Sometimes that's what I do when I'm at home and you're watching something. Some of the ads that come on are like, this is unbelievable. Um, so Flee just like Joseph did in Genesis chapter 39 and just like David didn't in 2 Samuel 11 when he watched Bathsheba flee strenuously avoid at all times sexual immorality it's a general all-encompassing word I didn't I don't think I'd, I checked it I think it's probably pornia which sounds like our word and where we get it from pornography particularly also flee have nothing to do with it. It's harmful, it's damaging. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. Now, is that Paul saying that or is he quoting the Corinthians and commentators are divided? But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You hurt yourself. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? He is in you, whom you've received from God. Secondly, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Why shouldn't we, Paul writes to the Corinthians, why shouldn't you be going to prostitutes? Well, because your body is important. It's linked with Jesus. You're united with him. Your body is the dwelling place of God's spirit. And it's not yours. You belong to him. And you are to be responsive to him and to be honouring him. You've been purchased you are not the owners of your own body. He made it. He died to redeem it. And now he indwells it as his temple. It's his body, Paul is saying. We are owned and possessed by him. Let me finish by telling you the story of Hosea. You will be familiar, many of you will be familiar with the story of Hosea, a prophet in the Old Testament. And he was the last prophet to the north, to the ten tribes, the last one having sent previous prophets to talk about judgment and exile and everything else, the last prophet God sends is Hosea, which has an emphasis upon God's passionate love for his people. 
And God comes to Hosea and says, I want you to pick a girl who's got a sordid past, who's got a fickle heart, and she's going to be unfaithful to you, but I want you to marry her. And so he does. And of course, it's a parallel between God's relationship with his people, Israel, and Hosea's relationship with his wife, Goma. Um, and sure enough, into the marriage, she uh, has some children to him and probably some children to other people as well. She's unfaithful. And eventually she leaves the marriage and she goes either back to the temple as a prostitute or off to do other things and she is sexually unfaithful and she finds herself in a great deal of difficulty. Chapter 3, she finds herself for sale. <clears throat> so there she is, I could imagine, in the market square on one of the blocks, probably completely naked or ill, not clothed very much, for sale. And she's for sale to the highest bidder to help her get out of the difficulty she's in. And then she hears a voice out of the crowd. It's a voice she knows. It's Hosea's voice. And he's bidding to buy her, under God's instructions, of course. Shekels, 15 shekels. And he buys her back. And she must be both surprised by, why is he doing that? And then it dawns upon her, he's probably doing it because he wants revenge. It's going to get even for what I've done to him. And then, of course, he comes forward out of the crowd. She's not greeted by somebody who was harsh with her, but she's greeted by somebody who was smiling nicely at her and who says to her, I love you far more than you could ever know. Let's go home. That's what the Lord Jesus has done for us. He's purchased us. We are the ones for sale on sin's block in the marketplace. Not valued by the world at all. And Jesus is the one who bids for us, who purchases us. Even though we've got a past and even though we can have fickle hearts, I love you far more than you'll ever. Let's go home. And he invites us into that relationship. And the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, you are not your own. You've been purchased. He died for you. He gave his all for you. Not for you to go and do your own thing. Not for you to enjoy yourself and to be selfish. But to live for him and to honour him in your body. The application's obvious, isn't it? We have to live for him, dedicate our lives to him. Be very careful. Is it lawful? Is it beneficial? Is it enslaving? And if it doesn't get three ticks, avoid it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you might shape us, instill our thinking, uh, this perspective, this worldview. Help us to be more analytical, more aware, more on guard. Protect us from the attacks of the evil one and the insidious claims of society around us. Help us to be different. Help us not to be uh, irritatingly different, but lovingly different. And wanting to love you and to honour you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us. You gave your all for us. Lord, we want to give our all for you. Enable us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.